Welcome to the finale of season one of This Won't Last Long, the podcast that has lasted um, two years at this point, which is insane, and um, never thought I'd be ending it with um, my roommate and uh, new closest friend, I would say. Um, But yeah. I think I'm going to name this one uh, Time Lords and Unemployment. (laughs) Because Doctor Who has been a great um, escape of adulting um, with him for the past however long we've been watching it, but two months-ish? Yep. Um, But yeah, the podcast where... Over these couple years, I've been talking about, um, you know, nerd stuff in the media, um, my own projects, um, uh, all the stuff of, like, getting applications and everything about until, of course, getting here and finally um, starting here and everything. And... Uh, now it's over, and I think next season is going to be different. Um, I think I'm going to do it with every season. Kind of do a rebrand um, stuff. I'll try to keep it nerdy, because I don't think I can leave that part of it. But yeah, speaking of nerdy, um, I think we'll just uh, start with it. I think um, we'll start with the fact of the Time Lords part <laughs> of we've been watching Doctor Who for two months. You grew up with it since you were like very little, right? Well, uh, yeah, since like I was like five, I started watching with my dad. Um, and for me, those phantoms have been like uh, the MCU, um, Star Wars, and probably a couple others, but <laughs> Stranger Things, but. Yeah, um, Back to the Future, um, but yeah, this is probably like, the, I mean, obviously the biggest, but like, probably the biggest fan of your part of it, right? Mmm, Marvel is bigger. I suppose so. The comic books are always going to be bigger. Yeah. Um, considering technically Marvel did publish Doctor Who comics in the 70s, so, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's um, the Star Beast, based on, it's based on a 70s comic, illustrated by Dave Gibbons, who did Watchmen. Um, yeah, so I think today, because um, uh, he, I think, I don't even know who had the idea first, well obviously you, but I think, um, I don't remember why we started in the first place, I think you were like, oh it's a really good show. And then, oh, right, you, uh, Logan showed me the, uh, Rings of Akatan speech, which I had already seen before in, like, clips and stuff. You won't see for another three seasons. Fuck. Anyway. (laughs) Um, uh, but that immediately made me want to, like, jump in and everything because I think you were kind of 
explaining briefly the context of that or something, or like you were explaining yeah. something about it, um, and like why it's a really cool speech. Uh, oh right, you were saying that it's probably the clip to like that ex- that explains the Doctor in such a short time mm-hmm. um, as a character, and I was like, so the whole speech is just of this like kindness and hope and everything. And then knowing that and having that in my mind, I don't know how long the time frame was between seeing that clip in its entirety to seeing the first episode uh, titled Rose, but I think it was a short time span, but um, in any case, it was, uh, I had that already in my mind, like when we started, so it was a really cool thing of like, um... No, already knowing the character, but not really, um, and just seeing how that kindness and um, hope and everything kind of develops. Um, and to talk about on a podcast, uh, it's it's because uh, David Tennant's era. Um, we just saw end last night um, at. Uh, five in the morning. Uh, four in the morning. We started watching Matt Smith at five in the morning. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that was difficult because oh also major spoilers for like everything of like the first four seasons of New Who. Um because yeah, we already saw Chris regenerate, but that was one season. Um and that wasn't Two different. I was obviously sad. So I, I nine might be like, like have a like a slight edge over um, David because he started the thing and everything like that. So um, like his era ended, and I was like, okay, then let's just see like how similar David Tennant, David Tennant's doctor is to Chris Oxton, and it, I was. Uh, Shortly humbled. <laughs> I was very quickly humbled of like, oh, this is different. This is not a not the same like war red, war veteran man that uh, we just saw like saunter off and like embrace his change. Saunter off. <laughs> saunter off. Um, yeah, we'll get to those, but yeah, um, and then. He just kind of left, and it was, and then the Christmas invasion, David's uh, special Christmas special. He immediately was like, "Yeah," um, <laughs> he immediately killed a guy, <laughs> or uh, I guess, you know, he he killed him. Um, of like this, these aliens that these hostile aliens that invaded Earth, and then that was the same one that. Um, set up Torchwood, I believe, with hmm? with the. Oh, I know, because that was well, kind of the laser, but Torchwood had been kind of mentioned beforehand. It was really Tooth and Claw that set up Torchwood as a force. Yeah, because wasn't it revealed that the Master shot them or something? Mm, no, just that what happened was. 
Uh, he didn't shoot them, but he was responsible for the Archangel Network. Mm-hmm. That was the system of what was it, the satellites that organized that laser. But yeah, he was the one who organized that, and that's why Harold Saxon got elected after uh, Harriet Jones, because in people's minds, he used that as a reason for why he should be elected, because he was a key point in the defeat of the Sigrax. Um, yeah, and it was uh, Chris's season um, was kind of just this um, at least for the first like for the previous half of it was just kind of this fun little sci-fi show um, that I was like okay this is fun this monster every week kind of thing um, and uh, I was like I was there was a little hints of the uh philosophy of the character which I think connects me most to the show um, and it was kind of hooked me onto it because I'm of course a writer as you guys know and it like immediately hooked me onto a bit of like um, the hope of the character and just how he um, kind of moves the world as this friendly figure and yeah, like, I, I think that philosophy of him kind of connected me, but, like, I think what, like, because I, I think you know the philosophy of him, but, like, what kind of connected you most? With the Doctor? Yeah. Mm, well, originally I just really liked the character, but, uh, the Doctor is, I am trying to say this without spoiling it for you, <laughs> um, the Doctor's a character who he's just a very complicated being in who he is and where he comes from and he is a character that has an unwavering and unabashed love that transcends most things. Uh, he's a character that he helped, he, despite being a at the point where we left off 906 year old Time Lord, he still finds new things to be excited about. Whether it be Christmas dinner with Jackson Lake or uh, or just a, a little shop, somewhere you can just shop. Uh, it's it's this the, the, the dichotomy of probably one of the most powerful beings ever created with the things he's able to do with still a sense of yeah and newfoundness to the world it's just very interesting to watch and see how he overcomes things he does while also being one of those inspiring characters of his unwavering spirit in the midst of turmoil yeah, and I think um, on that, like, that's a little side comment, like, with, um, I believe it's Utopia, yeah, where uh, in season three, so David's second last season. We're just the second season. Just, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, he just quickly goes, like, like, sees how long the humans have survived, 
and just quickly goes, oh, indomitable, and just like comments on the spirit of uh, the human race. And I think, like, he says all these jokes and uses his wits and stuff, but in his mind and his heart and everything, I think, like, he admires, like, he sees um, these civilizations throughout time and space, um, and kind of has, like, has them inspire his own spirit, and they help his spirit to be indomitable as well, um, and change his, like, inner core from this vengeful, <laughs> like, uh, and a tragic character to this, like, hopeful, um, just, um, yeah, like, spiritual figure almost. I think I really love that part of the character, um, which you do as well, and I, I don't, like, I don't know why it's characters like that that just push people in, but I think it, maybe it's, yeah, the wonder of it and, like, why sometimes these people can't see that, um, ourselves, or maybe it's, like, the, just how he keeps finding new things to laugh about and just smile about, but... Yeah, it's also just a great um, escape, more than any, like, like most sci-fi things I've seen, of just, like, uh, the world feels very lived in, even from just, the, yes, of course, it's London a lot of the time, but the world, like, the worlds and everything feel very lived in, um, and I think that's a testament to the writers of the show, like, the... Um, even if it's just like one episode where we see uh, this like new world or something they manage to make it something that we feel like we've seen before you'll find going forward there's a lot less earth and a lot more alien planets with Stephen Moffat's era on the show with 11 and 12 they go well because their budget also went up with the later seasons because Doctor Who was actually a was actually a big show again so for the first time since like 1984 was the show extremely popular again yeah because did, did david like um the because i obviously he's very popular like his doctor did yeah. he kind of bring it up a little bit or help well it was after peter davison left in 1984 and colin baker took over the showrunner of Doctor Who at the time did not like what the show had become, and which it was a bullshit reason. But so he intended to basically cancel the show. But what ended up happening was Colin Baker basically uh, during 1985 he had basically a year-long hiatus in between seasons that resulted in a lot less stories for him as the character. Which is sad because he's actually a very, he was actually a very, he's not just was, he's still alive. He's a very well-respected actor, actor and a really good actor. And his version of the Doctor was a new kind of take on him. It was a bit of a, more of a 
arrogant character that it would have been a very good character arc to see happen, but because of that, the writers had to deal with a lot of stuff and ended up basically just giving him a 14 episode, which at the time was at minimum two episodes apiece, season that was just one story called The Trial of the Time Lord. And ratings dropped them. Like, they tried to bring ratings back by bringing back Patrick Troughton in the two Doctor story to have two and six together. But then Sylvester McCoy kind of brought the popularity back as seven. But then they decided to end the show and, well, not end, but put it on hiatus in 1989 and try bringing it back with Paul McGann in 96, which didn't work. But then when Christopher Eccleston finally took over in 2005, it was like, let's see if this show can still find legs in the 21st century. And as it continued through Christopher Eccleston, held the show as his own for one season and brought it back in David Tennant taking over. It finally got back to the low popularity it had since 1963. And then when we get to Matt Smith and to Peter Capaldi, uh, the budget definitely went up because BBC had a lot more faith in the show. So you'll see that there's a lot more budget for visual effects and stuff, which means there's a lot more alien planets and alien worlds to see. So yeah, there's, they spend a lot less time on Earth than they do in the first four seasons. Yeah, because even in Matt Smith's um, first episode, the cinematography already was, um, I wouldn't say better, because there was definitely, like, beautiful cinematography in the first four seasons. But I think it's, like, it, it showed a, create, a level of creativity that mm -hmm. I hadn't seen in the previous four seasons. Um, it shows, a, I suppose, a level of care as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because you were saying, like, they had more faith in the show, which, um, by proxy, I'm probably not using that word right, but <laughs> um, that means they cared about the show more as well. Yeah. Um, Stephen Moffat, I will say, he can be hit or miss as a writer, depends on what he's writing, but I quite like the eras of him, specifically 12s, but, uh, yeah, and like you can see in the first episode of with the 11th hour, like, the CGI in Prisoner Zero was a little iffy at times, he looked too smooth at times, but the Atraxi themselves looked pretty cool as giant eyeballs. So you can definitely see that the, the a lot of the money went into designing the Atraxi as compared to Prisoner Zero, who is just a snake and is usually portrayed as either a barking man or Olivia Coleman in children. Yeah, because like it's, um, like it's similar to uh, just like it, it shows the, I'm, I'm thinking of for some reason Supergirl right now with <laughs> yeah. with um, Martian Manhunter? Well, yes, but also with, uh, that when she was uh, not possessed, like under this control of um, this alien, like, and she saw this this like perfect life. Oh, the black something. Uh, yes, it's a thing from whatever happened in the man of tomorrow by Alan Moore. It's this. Uh, yeah, it's a plant. It's what Mongol used against him in Justice League. Uh... Bl black something. Yeah, one sec. Yeah, keep talking. I just <laughs> um, 
but yeah, because uh, with that episode of the Supergirl, long story short, she sees this perfect life, and it's not about the, if you look at the alien at the start and like at the end, and a little bit in between in that episode, but it's about like this um, hole that it has, well, figurative and literal holes that it has on Clara Danvers, because um, like it just represents something with her character. And I think, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking like it, um, I guess, yeah, Prisoner Zero. It's, yeah, so Prisoner Zero in the 11th hour, um, like this doctor already seemed to me in one episode so much more confident, so much more unafraid of what's in front of him. Um, and I think in that sense, he seems uh, way less, I think, emotionally um, adept because even with like Amy Pond, um, of course another mention of spoilers, um, but yeah, Amy Pond, like he traveled again. Black Mercy. Uh, he traveled again to. Uh, can you explain it better? What? Sorry. The Amy Pond film? Oh, Amy Pond. So he lands in a Pond's garden when she is 10? Yeah. You know, something like that. She's, she's young, like 10 years old. And basically, he analyzes the crack in her wall. Which we find out is a cr- is just a crack in space and time. It's we don't know who created it. We don't know why it's there, but it's just a crack there yeah. that ended up being a way for prisoners here to escape from the Atraxi's prison. The Atraxi put a tracker on the Doctor, and so then the Doctor leaves and tells Amelia he'll just be five minutes so he can get the TARDIS back in order. But due to some faulty stuff, he ends up coming back 12 years later. And then she's all grown up. She's been a psychiatrist because nobody believes her that this man, this time tower that fell from the sky, this raggedy doctor existed. And he just shows up out of nowhere. And the Atraxi followed followed him to find Prisoner Zero. But because he took the long way around, the Atraxi also took the long way around. Um, And then at the end of it, he leaves to go to the moon and back to test out the new TARDIS. And it ends up being two years later, so it's been 14 years since he first met Amelia Pond, and then Amy Pond joins him the night before her wedding. Yeah, and, um, like, even, yeah, with the Amy Pond stuff, which, to, um, a regular human would be, uh, fucking tragic. <laughs> like, if I just saw this, uh, magic man just fall from the fucking sky... And I was so enamored by him and wanted to get to know him better and something like I would be to psychiatrist, I would go to psychiatrist too and like I would, I would, I would also make my, uh, and that was her brother, but for me, sister, I would also probably make my sister, uh, dress up as, oh, no, not brother. That's not her brother. That's her boyfriend. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um... (laughs) 
I would pick my friends or something. I'm going in some Game of Thrones territory there, Mike. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I would pick my friends dress up as the doctor or something. Um, and just live in his uh, magic, for lack of a better word. Um, and yeah, but like he shows no little to no not remorse, but like because he didn't, wasn't his fault, obviously, but he shows little to no thought, I guess for lack of a better word, when she mentions the whole thing of that it's been uh, 12 years, like when they're, I think when they're running away from the Christmas year or whatever, um, because she mentions that she's in pond and then he goes like, oh, you have to... But then, then like, like, they keep running. He doesn't really acknowledge it. And I think um, with David Tennant's doctor, um, I think especially with uh, the whole Time Lord Victorious stuff, which basically um, the specials um, after season four, um, his last season, uh, Ended. Um, there were these. Uh, what? How many specials? Uh, four. Four. Uh, four, but the last one was two parts. Yeah. So. Five. Yeah, five episodes. Um. These five specials were kind of showing. Um, David Tennant's, like his doctor's version of, or like, doc- his doctor's growth of kind of accepting, um, like fate. I guess in a way, because it was really shown in, well, what made him Time Lord Victorious, which we can explain after, I think, but yeah, um, basically there was this doomed kind of thing of uh, this Captain Adelaide Brooke and her team on Mars, um, they were supposed to, like, uh, die on Mars with this whole uh, zombie the water there, the flood. Um, these water zombies, and um, he ended up uh, getting his like he ended up believing too much in too much in his ego and just kind of uh, too much in his power uh, of the doctor and just kind of um, thought he could do literally anything. Um, he could because I suppose on a doomed planet um, he was just th- he was thinking a lot about the Time Lords and Gallifrey um, and it made him realize that like obviously he knows he's the only one left but it made him really like believe it in a uh, way that led to the detriment of um, quite a lot of people that he set right after a whole thing, but yeah, the Time Lord Victorious stuff. What kind of happened there? Uh, from what I read yesterday, uh, <laughs> the Time Lord Victorious story uh, on screen is told solely through the waters of Mars. We see him claim that the laws of time are his because he's the only one that can like navigate and control them. 
but what happens is uh, 2020, they decided to do like a multimedia story following this episode, dating all the way back to the fourth Doctor, having him get told that one day an incarnation of himself will become the very thing he hates, and he didn't believe it. So, Tenth Doctor basically saves Adelaide Brooke and, and two of her crewmates, and that creates a time fracture. And when the Tenth Doctor goes back into his TARDIS, he goes through his time fracture, and decides to go to this planet of, like, I forget the name, like the Cahorks or something like that, and basically trying to get rid of death itself as part of him knowing that his song is ending soon with the appearance of Ood Sigma. And so it's him trying to basically get rid of death. And it eventually ends up with him becoming at odds with the Eighth and the Ninth Doctors. They both show up and they basically fight the Tenth Doctor. Like, the Tenth Doctor leads a full-on battle fleet and Eighth and Ninth are against him too. Uh, yeah, I don't, I haven't read the stuff or listened to the stories, but that's just the brief stuff I read. Uh, and yeah, so basically at the end he realizes his mistake, and that's where we pick up in End of Time is some, however long time after that. So basically, in context, the entire timeline of Victoria's story happens, uh, in that multimedia story from 2020, told across comics, books, uh, audio mainly audio and comics. Yeah, that seems to be, from like little videos I've watched and stuff, that seems to be most of what they do in multimedia, so. Mm -hmm. um, which, since <laughs> you confirmed last night, we'll never see that again. I will probably listen to the big finish stuff, which I've seen. There isn't, yeah, there isn't a lot of Nine, because they only recently started doing Nine stuff, but yeah, there's... Eight and six are the two there's the most of because they had the shortest times as the Doctor. So yeah, there is a lot of eight, which I've been told, or I've, been, I've read that a lot of eight stories are some of the best Doctor Who stories, but because he never got enough time, it's all in audio and like nobody has listened to them. But yeah, eight and six have a lot on audio that's really good. Yeah, because like I... Um, and with like showing that um that hope again like with um i don't think i've seen um like a, a like i don't know if we'll ever get a, another doctor who had who will face himself like that um and then i think because he just full on um I guess the way to describe it is like look at himself in the mirror and just um, like be like um, yeah I can't be this anymore and just when we're back to him in end of time uh, or I guess the first special uh, or wait yeah end of time right? Mm -hmm. yeah end of time part one yeah end of time part one he's um tortured a little bit than a little bit more than before because of what he had to do to be hopeful again and be this uh, great figure again, the doctor again. But he um, through that I think um, a great like I, I kept thinking about River to be honest, uh, River Song, who we met on the day of her death ish. <laughs> Because it was a little bit complicated. 
because um, Silence in the Library, beautiful episode. Um, it's a lot of interesting filmmaking stuff about like uh, horror and stuff with TV and what's real and what's not. Really great reality trippy kind of thing. And then these uh, were like grounded to reality when these, uh, I guess, astronauts come because well, I don't really, I don't really describe what they are. They're, they're archaeologists. Yeah, I suppose. Um, astronaut <laughs> archaeologists who come in, and one of them is Doctor Riversong, who, um, Professor Professor Riversong, who uh knows the doctor's name, which uh, Logan saw my jaw drop when that was said. And I think it's a thing of like uh, he I think she represents all of the love that he has for humanity and I think, well, all of it. Of course, because companions and everything. But some of the love like a fraction of the love that he has for humanity, and then I think uh, it's like a ref- like a I guess parallel, like a character parallel of like he um, sees himself in her, and uh, like he's inspired her so much through however many incarnations incarnations. Uh, this, unfortunately, I know from things, because, uh, like a clip or whatever, because I told you that, but like a thing that he's, that she's the wife of the Doctor, um, when I know that, I don't know, but, <laughs> like when they'll reveal that on screen, I don't know, but, um, damn it, <laughs> um, but in, in any case, will we find out things? I'm not telling. He never tells me, and it pisses me off. It's also really cool because this show kind of places these little uh, hints that keep coming back, and I don't know how they do it. Is it's... the river song we saw on the trail the same river song? Wait. <laughs> yeah, because... Is she? Anyway, so... <laughs> Um, like, I think the one that I keep, that keeps, like, entering my mind is You Are Not Alone, which, um, like, was probably one of my biggest, like, jaw drop moments. I, I think I said, what the fuck? (laughs) Um, which led to The Master. Um, so... He's the master. Um, I didn't think, like I, I knew from a couple of clips too, but I didn't know, I the character like at all. And he's this like insane, uh, time lord, who saw like, the time vortex itself. Um, all time lords have to do that. Okay. Okay. It's that's how Gallifreyans become time lords. Gallifreyans themselves are not born with the ability to regenerate and have that and become Time Lords. They're just standard Gallifreyans. But then when they join the Academy at a young age as 
master and doctor did at nine. Like when the master looked into the vortex, the doctor was there. It wasn't shown, but to become a time lord, a Gallifreyan must stare into the time vortex, to, into the temporal schism or temporal untempered schism, and that's how a Gallifreyan becomes a time lord. So that's what happens. So it could have also been a thing from, I guess, how you worded it of. Um, the master saw, like, everything that he could become, and... Well, we don't know what he saw. We just know he went right. crazy from staring into time untempered. Well, but you said the doctor was... The doctor was there, yeah, because a, every child has to go through the same thing. And they were just taken at the, around the same time, yeah. Oh, from how you worded it, I thought... <laughs> no, no, the doctor was yeah. not... It, no, the doctor physically was yeah, there. yeah. yeah. Obviously. This is before they were called the Doctor and the Master, but, uh, yeah. Because the Master's an interesting character. The Master has not been around as long as the Doctor has. The Master first appeared in the thir- with the third Doctor, maybe Roger Legato. And the thing that's interesting about him is, I explained this to Mike last night, is uh, Roger Delgado died filming a movie in Turkey in 1974. And that's a big reason why John Pertwee decided to leave Doctor Who, was because Roger, <clears throat> Roger Delgado was like his best friend. And it was, he said that it basically wouldn't feel right to continue playing the character without his on-screen like nemesis and dual, like, dual side. Uh, so he's interesting because the Master is a character who is constantly cheating death. Which may sound interesting considering he's a Time Lord, but uh, when we next see the Master with the Fourth Doctor, he's played by, I want to see Jeffrey Beavers. And the Master is kind of this green, grotesque, swamp-looking creature, which is basically, the Master has run out of regenerations. And he is stealing time and stealing stuff like this. And Peter Pratt's version is the exact same. And then, I don't know the exact way, but uh, in the last fourth Doctor story, Logopolis, uh, the Master somehow gets new regenerations, and Anthony Ainsley takes over as the Master. And he plays the Master for four, five, six, and seven. So he played the Master for the longest time, continually. And then, after that, after we see him in at the end of seven, where he's turning into a cat person, funny enough, the next time we see him is in the movie, 1996, where the Master gets assassinated, or not assassinated, executed by the Daleks for crimes. And the, the plot of the beginning of the movie is the Doctor's transporting the Master's remains back to Gallifrey. But the Master swallowed this space-time worm, which basically when, when you die while having that in your body, you are able to escape death in the form of this worm. And so he takes on the form of this morgue worker, Bruce, played by Eric Roberts. And at the end of that movie, we think the Master's gone. He, I believe, fell into the Eye of Harmony, which is like the center of the TARDIS that causes time travel. Um, and then we never see him again. And then suddenly he's back. Like, we, we think that he died either in the Time War or something like that, but yeah, he's suddenly back. So the Master's an interesting character in that, despite being a Time Lord who can regenerate, he's constantly having to cheat death. As we see again with him refusing to regenerate, and then the cult of Saxon resurrecting him at end of time. Yeah, it's a very interesting character like that. Yeah, because I, I um, we were talking about that and stuff. And just 
he keeps going back, and even like with how he came back for um, the end of time. Uh, Someone commented on your TikTok. So basically, like how he came back for the end of time was through uh, people. Like they, they just believed in him, and it was whenever. Um, like not not the, not just the master because obviously he was just shown this one time to keep his belief in. Um, but when any, uh, I think, like the Christopher Eccleston's uh, stories were a good uh, thing of that with like humanity being not evil but um, I, I guess greedy, for lack of a better word. Um, like with, because I think the master represents greed in a way, because like he keeps saying like I'm so hungry as well in the end of time. Yeah, because he had an he had an incomplete uh, resurrection. He was born from death, as he said. Uh, he was born from death, and basically the failed resurrection made him hungry for more sustenance, which. It's an interesting thing is that both the master and the doctor want to stay alive. Those two want to use the most out of their regenerations that they possibly can, but they do it for very different reasons. The master does it for his own self-interest. He wants to stay alive strictly to see what he wants to he wants to have happen happen. He's an agent of chaos. The doctor needs to stay alive because he has people relying on him. And they have people relying on them that need the doctor there. They have a duty. And it's it's interesting to see the duo of them because the doctor and the master love each other. They do love each other. They're best friends and have been forever. But they're just at a point in their lives where they can't coexist. And so they're constantly butting heads despite the fact they are each other's best friends. And it's very interesting any time the Master shows up in a story to see that happen. Because back in, like, we see at the end of End of Time, the Doctor and Master do work together. Like, they can work for a common goal with getting rid of Rassilon. Like, even dating back to Roger Delgado and John Pertwee, the Doctor and Master work together when they needed to. So it's, it's very interesting to see that duo whenever they're on screen. Yeah, because I think... Um... Like, uh, obviously, it's just this one time of showing, like, um, them working specifically against the Time Lords, which came back <laughs> to Earth from the Time War being time-locked. Whatever that will mean, I'm sure I'll see that. Basically, what it means is the Time War itself is it's in a bubble. Basically, the entire Time War is in a place where... It cannot be accessed or tampered with. It's a thing that, like, it's... There's fixed points, but this is a true thing in time where no one can enter the Time War and no one can get out of the Time War unless what's established is the connection was already there before it was time-locked, which that is the drumbeat in the Master's head, which is a Time Lord heartbeat. It's a signal implanted by the Time Lords to give them a fail-safe to get out of the Time War. 
And there's what, but basically happening there on the last day of the Time War, as they say, is the Doctor's escape of the moment, and that's what's happening. And then Rassilon's like, let's activate this signal, send this white, the white dwarf, not dwarf star, what's it called? Uh, five, five point star? Wait. <laughs> yes, five point diamond or something like that. And send it to Earth to get them to bring it through, yeah. It's it's it was a time locked point in time where the entire time war could not be tampered with. It was like nobody knows when the time war actually happened. Like we just know that it was prior to the Doctor's ninth incarnation is when it ended. That's all we know. That could be any time in history. It's something that's left up to like not even imagination. It's supposed to be a mystery. Is we just know that the time war happens in between the eighth and ninth incarnations. And it's some point in time that is completely locked and not able to be tampered with. So no matter what happened there with the Doctor and however the Time Lords died, it cannot be changed. It is a thing that has to happen no matter what. Yeah, and I think um, the Time Lords being shown as... Um, because up until this point, um, I thought... <laughs> They were these wonderful people, and they were like, they were just like the doctor. And I, I thought the master was just this thing gone wrong in the species. But no, um, the doctor is um, the very thing he uh, says he destroyed, which is um, the Time Lords and like the Daleks. And I think. He had to destroy both. My interpretation, at least, is that he had to destroy both because the Time Lords were becoming too, too much like the Daleks, and they were just—it was going to be an endless uh, battle. And um, then the very thing he thinks he destroyed, which his doctor's reaction is. Um, like had me um because he was just like he already knows he's gonna die and then to face his ultimate like enemies right before he does um yeah like he did not expect that at all and it was really uh powerful his reaction I mean to him the Hamlet had died years before he's like he, as he says, the way he always describes the Time Lords to his companions is the way he chooses to remember them. Yeah. It's it's how they're shown in the original series, is the keepers of time, and like, we see dark Time Lords, we see the Master, we see the Ronnie, we see the Valiard, who, the Valiard's an interesting character from the Trial of the Time Lord. He is a combination of all of the darkest elements of the Doctor from some point past his 12th incarnation. So sometime point past Peter Capaldi, a character called the Valiard is created that basically is every part, every dark and antagonistic part of the Doctor is combined into one incarnation. And he's shown... In the Sixth Doctor. So they, not new, but in a way they knew way back then. (laughs) Like, that kind of, those kind of elements? No. There was no not planned out whatsoever. Well, yeah, but it was it was just a thing that. Well, I don't think they even thought they'd get to twelve incarnations, so they were like, 
He's like, we're already at 15 now, and the Valbyard has not come up. Ever, like, at all. Like, they've me- I think they've mentioned the Valyard. But the Valyard has not come up, so I don't think they even thought they'd get to 12. Like, they knew that 6 or 7 was going to be the end of the original show. But yeah, the Valyard is an interesting character. So we, we've seen Dark Time Lords before in the Ronnie and the Master and the Valyard. But we don't... But we see them as a kind of peaceful force. Especially in, like, Rassilon that we see in that is to the Time Lords the greatest Time Lord to ever live. He is like he is the what's historical figure. He is like not 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 even not Jesus. He's like he's like the greatest leader the Time Lords ever had. He is their not he's not even not their god, but like he's their he is their iconic person. Well they call him president. So. Yeah he's Lord President. That's the title of the leader of the Time Lords is Lord President. And Rassilon was actually dead before the Time War. Like, the big thing of the Five Doctors, which was the 20, 20th anniversary uh, special uh, in 1983, was the Five Doctors, which actually won't be as Tom Baker during the show. So, first, second, third, and fifth Doctors, they all teamed up to get to Rassilon's tomb and free it, and there was something going on. And so, but they brought him back for the Time War and made him Lord President. And so, yeah, Rassilon is depicted as the greatest Time Lord to ever live, and yet we see that he is a dick in End of Time, who doesn't care if the entire human race is wiped out, as long as it brings this back Gallifrey. Because I, I keep seeing a pattern of uh, villains, which unfortunately includes the Time Lords now, or I, I guess Rassilon specifically, um, so you were saying Dark Time Lords and stuff, like just the thing of um, that ideology of which somehow was said by the master uh, the master race which was insane to hear um, but yeah the um, the ideologies like the Nazi ideologies used by all these uh, groups of villains uh, is insane even Time wars and everything of uh, they just want their own people to survive and um, <laughs> uh, like Maybe that's just your background. That's you're just standing there for like the remainder of it. Uh. <laughs> that's your shoe. What? I was just having a shoe. Um, and I don't know why the patterns, pattern exists. Um, it doesn't, they don't really explain why they only want themselves to survive. Um, but I think it's a thing of, um, how, I think, I guess, powerful the doctor is that he can just transcend, that his love can just transcend those kind of, um, negative entities, just, uh, trying to taunt him to do the wrong thing, I think. Um, but yeah, I... And then, then the Master, I think, contrasting, like, the Doctor's love for humanity and his best friend was enough to convince his best friend, the Master, um, who... The Master, I think, used his love 
for his best friend, the Doctor, to kind of uh, force out the uh, Time Lords like led by uh, Rassilon. Let's say Rallison. 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 But yeah, I think that his love was big enough to convince him to love. Yeah, and it was a really uh, powerful thing. And then in that same moment, the Doctor sees what's apparently supposed to be his mother. <laughs> um, it's thought that it might be. Well, because he said he said it was, right? Uh, there's no actual, like, in-canon explanation that it's the mass for the Doctor's mother. It's just Russell T. Davies' personal headcanon that it's his mother. But there's also been, like, five other depictions of the Doctor's mother that look different. So we don't really know, but I like to think it's his mother. Are those are a lot of those five in the old series no. or oh it's all new stuff in comics and stuff. Oh, okay. I was gonna say are we gonna see these? Um Richard Armish's voice wrestle on that shit. Uh sorry. <laughs> I am just trying to read up on Rassalon. See if I got my stuff right. Um but yeah, and I think, like, even with the stuff going back on, like, him facing himself, um, which literally happened with um, the Metacrisis Doctor, which was insane to see, because finally, finally that little tiny Doctor's hand from the Christmas Invasion, his very first episode, somehow came back, um... The shit keeps, like, having me in awe of how they managed to write this so well um, with um, Easter eggs and, uh, like, hints towards the future and the past, and I don't know how they do it. I, I genuinely don't. And it's a pretty, it was a pretty cool thing with like, like simultaneously, I guess not really during the break, because we only watched the ending of season three during the break, um, which is when the Master was introduced and stuff, um, and also died for the first time um, in the new show, but yeah. And then the Metacrisis Doctor, that hand came back with... Donna about to burn alive in this, like, I forget what Davros called it, but this fire area, whatever, uh, in his ship or whatever, and then Donna, um, I think uses the hand and I don't know what she does with the hand, though. What? What do you mean? When the Metacrisis Act was formed? Like, I don't know how she activated it. She touched it. Yeah, she literally just touched the hand um, from the Christmas invasion that was cut off. Um, and then from that, uh, humanity... Well, humanity is, humanity is already in the Doctor, but now the Doctor... This version of the Doctor is literally part human and um, understands uh, his own race and the humans both on a fundamental uh, like equal level and 
by no means a perfect doctor, but as close enough as uh, he could have gotten. Um, <laughs> um, and then Donna, of course, just like rose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a Doctor Who soundboard. I don't even know when he downloaded that. Um, like during which episode? Voyage of the Damned. <laughs> for for no reason at all, just for fun. <laughs> um. That one was really like <laughs> stereo boosted for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, which Voyage of the Damned was when we first met Wilf, um, who, oh my God, <laughs> um, has made me tear up so many times with the few times he was on screen. Um, just the mere like faith in the Doctor, um, the like sheer love for his family and also um, it's implied that um, or I guess Chip said yeah <laughs> that the Wilfred is a father figure to the doctor um, when he uh, I think the the master says something about I don't remember the exact line because he's like I'd be proud so the master says something and Wilf says, I'd be proud if he was my son. Yeah, yeah. And then when they're on board the Vinvachi ship, not to be confused with the Zachis, which are Ben Capilata, but the Vinvachi ship, <laughs> and they're talking about how eventually Wilf gives the doctor the gun and was like, I need you to kill him. Uh, the doctor says that he'd be proud if Wilf was his dad. Yeah, and uh, I think, like, more than most of these characters on the show, other than the Doctor himself, really connected with me on a like deeply personal level because, uh, especially this past summer, which I talked about briefly on one of the podcast episodes, but just like, uh, like so many, there's so many figures, quite a few figures in my life like that. Who are who have been through life like so much of life, and they're not directly related to me or anything, but they have meant so much to me and like inspired me so much. And with the doctor, it was like a a reversal thing of like a parallel thing of um, because the doctor understands humanity and cares for humanity deeply. And Wilf also does because he is a veteran, which was revealed in the End of Time Part Two. Well, he talked. Now he talks about the war in all of his appearances, pretty much. Sure, sure. But it's it's mainly a thing in End of Time with 
the woman talking to Wilf about how he never killed him anymore. And Wilf responding with, like, uh, like there's any shame in that. Yeah. Or, or you act as if there's shame in that. Something like that. You say that like it's shameful. Yeah. Um, which, like, I, I don't even know my reaction. I think I, like, lean back as far as I, like, on my bed as, as I have during watching this show so far, and, like, said wow out loud, because that was a, like, amazing line that showed that, um, they're not exactly the same, but they're so fundamentally the same in that, like, sheer care for humanity, and, um, I can't, like, so, those moments like that of just showing how important civilization like that is, like the human race, or just a civilization that has a little shop, and it has a little, like it has, um, like the indomitable human spirit, and just, um, stuff like that, and, um, I think it's a thing of, uh, the doctor regenerates and isn't there all the time because he knows that um, he's inspired at least someone and um, he can leave for a bit. And then whenever he comes back, he's uh, he defends Earth and it is defended and stuff like that. And just David Tennant, I think. Um, at least for a while now, I'm sure one of the uh, like one of the future doctors will uh, persuade me <laughs> of like uh, that meaning of the doctor. But and like I think David Tennant has used like and portrayed so much emotion to it and so much um, complex emotions too, and like doubt and. Uh, like moral like questioning that I don't know if I will ever see the same in the same way again in the show and I, yeah I think he represents that like very well like did did he inspire your acting in any way um <laughs> I don't I haven't really thought of anything like that. When when it comes, I want to go into acting, A, as a method of just, like, creating entertainment uh, for people, but it's, nothing has really inspired me than just, like, I enjoy doing it. It's not really a thing of anyone specifically having a effect on why I'm doing it. It's just because I like it. Yeah. Why do you like? Why do you think Doctor Who is important? Uh, for with Doctor Who, it's it's a show that when it was originally created, it was meant to be an educational program. It was meant to have they actually had consultants on it. That's why, if you look at it, in the original show, one of the teachers was a history professor. The other one was a science. They wrote that one was a science teacher, one was a history teacher. 
So it was supposed to be designed that 50% of episodes would be historical, 50% would be futuristic to show science. And I think that Doctor Who is a way that... It's a unique way in that it shows aliens in a different way than a lot of sci-fi mediums. It shows very unique aliens in very unique societies. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff, especially in Eleven. Like, Matt Smith has a lot of weird stuff that it's very interesting to see, but like, it's, I think Doctor's, like, despite just being a staple of pop culture in that it's the longest running sci-fi show in history, and that it's just pretty much the one of one of if not the preeminent British create like pop culture creation. Uh, Doctor Who is just it's a way to use the adventures of a time traveler and alien to tell messages and like to have messages shown through of different things like we see through. Uh, the treatment of the hath in the doctor's daughter or the ood or we see treatments of slavery and colonialism there or through the uh sound of drums and last of the time lords we see the effects of a dictatorship over ruling things in turn left we see as wilf says it's happening again as he sees concentration camps popping up when uh, when, because of the Time Beetle, we see that the Doctor... Oh, hi, Gracie. Oh, sorry, I didn't see the check. Oh, yeah, Gracie is here. I forgot to tell you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but with the Time Beetle showing Donna what would happen if she never met the Doctor, and him dying, like, we see humanity revert to its basest form of savagery and it's it this dates back all the way to 1960 like people keep saying that doctor who has gone woke but doctor who has always been a show that's been used to convey social messages ever since the beginning and it's it's why i love things like the x-men it's a way of the x-men and doctor who are two specific things it's a way of using a widespread medium that's enjoyable and interesting to watch in that these are the adventures of a time traveler. There's always going to be something fun happening, something interesting, uh, for the most part. But it's also a way to convey messages of social change and show how humanity can be better. Like, we also see uh, in The Long Game and... Uh, Specifically in the long game, we see humanity's obsession with uh, entertainment and turning tragedy into enjoyment. Or not not just the long game, but not exactly the long game, but uh, Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways and the long game. That entire storyline on platform one, was it called? Yeah. Something like that, whatever it was. Uh, we see the humanity's obsession and with the fourth great and bountiful human empire. We see humanity's obsession with turning tragedy into enjoyment. And there's a lot more to come in 11 and 12, even if in 13 and 14. But it's a way to teach people about how they can be better by having 
these human companions show a hundreds of years old alien how he can consistently be a better being in how they act and what they do for the universe. Because, like, we see after he leaves Dawn and erases her memory, the Doctor consistently is getting more and more reckless and more and more, like, eventually becoming the time of Victorious. He needs the human or whoever it is. Whoever. He needs his companion to reel him in, like he like it shows in Fires of Pompeii, when Donna helps the Doctor to see that saving just one family won't change history. Like he needs that balance. So we so anytime the Doctor is without a companion, he goes unchecked because that's what the Time Lords were. That's what how the a comparison like we were talking about you were talking about earlier with how. The Time Lords, the Cybermen, the Daleks are obsessed yeah. with being the only race. Is absolute power corrupts absolutely. These are the most powerful creatures in the universe. The Time Lords, like Rassilon and Omega, invented the idea of time travel. Uh, he is a renegade Time Lord from the Third and Fifth Doctors. He's he invented time travel along with Rassilon. Uh, basically, what happened? They trade time travel. Omega fell into a black hole called the Eye of Harmony, which Rassilon harnessed to create the Eye of Harmony, which is a part of it is in each TARDIS that allows Time Lords to travel through time. And Omega later returned for the Three Doctors special in 1973, and then returned for a fifth Doctor story. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like a renegade Time Lord. And they created time travel, and so they are the Lords of Time, they're Time Lords. They can control whatever happens. And Eventually, that was bound to happen during the Time War, that the Time Wars got more and more reckless and aggressive. And Rassilon, who is basically the founder of Time Lord civilization, became this malevolent force that wants to do... that. Well, not exactly malevolent, but he's at a point where he will do whatever it takes to save the Time Lords, no matter who must die to save them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... Um... I think uh, it's also like that. I think the first, like even I think it. I was gonna say Dalek, but I think the first um, showing for that word, 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 word right now, showing of that uh, message, it was in the first episode even when uh, the Doctor Mickey was obviously fine, but Mickey, Mickey. Um, Good old Mickey, but yeah, the one. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's just the actors done some fucked up shit. Oh, fuck. so <laughs> yeah, like recently. Yeah, it's coming like recently. Noel Clark's done some sexual assault stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Not all human race, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, when Rose just goes like, "Dude, that was my boyfriend," and like a decent human and you didn't even think about him dying and then he just pauses and goes like right <laughs> he just kept coming back and um you are not alone and um the whole thing with the doctor has the biggest family on um earth I believe was the line and that's what Sarah Jane said yeah that's what Sarah Jane said rest in peace and I, will, I will say this we won't see it on screen but the doctor and Sarah Jane do meet one more time uh, in the Sarah Jane Adventures, the 11th Doctor does meet Sarah Jane. 
and I was gonna say Kevin's really better, but no, the <laughs> in, it's an episode that also brings back the companion Joe Grant. She was a third Doctor companion. She was the companion right before Sarah Jane when Liz Shaw, Sarah, Joe Grant, and Sarah Jane Smith. Um, and yeah, so in that episode, I forget what it was, and but yeah, the Eleventh Doctor does meet Sarah Jane, and something that's sadder to point out is. Every the Sarah every time Sarah Jane was with the Doctor, she kept growing older, but he kept getting younger. Is the third Doctor to the fourth Doctor to the tenth Doctor to the eleventh Doctor? Each of them is younger than the previous incarnation in appearance, at least. He was still getting older along yeah. with her, but he kept looking younger. And then yeah, the Sarah Jane adventures were supposed to go on longer, but then yes, unfortunately Elizabeth Slayton did die in 2011 from cancer which is very sad yeah um and i think it's a thing of like this just the doctor um trying to go on without uh donna in those few specials um with these random uh i guess companions they would they would be companions, um, even if it was just one episode. But yeah, these random companions um, never met him before that, so it was a whole thing of um, recklessness, um, and I suppose as well the absolute power thing you said, because in those few few specials there was a pattern of like they're not, um, well, I guess they were on Earth, but like they're not grounded on earth or anything no it's you know an apocalypse on mars where there's um power to be controlled it's a bus going out of control um um which was that that was just a regular human bus right yeah, it was, it was just that um, basically the swarm had created like a wormhole that the doctor had been tracking, but it had slowly gotten bigger, and the bus just happened to drive through it. Yeah, um, and just these like out of control things that he thought he could control, and um, what um, the humans, like the companions, have that he doesn't is that like pure just faith because even though the doctor experiences it or has it from second hand from like all these companions before and stuff um only the humans only the companions have that fully in them to their core as uh, a race of like like faith in humanity and stuff, you don't need a spirit, and it was a pretty um, amazing thing to see him without that. Well, it's an interesting thing in those episodes. Is as as I was saying, is that like the Doctor needs that balance. Uh, it was bound to. If you watch those episodes, you can tell it's going dark because he had plenty of opportunities to get a new companion. Like Jackson Lake would have been a great companion, and you saw how well he worked with Jackson Rosita. Lady Christina wanted to go with him, but he purposely was distancing himself from humans, which was also distancing himself from humanity. 
And as we get to Waters of Mars, he realizes, I don't need any of these rules. I can become the Time Lord Victorious. I can always win. Which ends up, like, Adelaide Brooks still ends up killing herself. Yeah. Just to set the timeline right. But yeah, if you see, he's causing it to himself. Even if he doesn't realize it, he's causing the pain on himself because he couldn't deal with the fact that his best friend almost died because of him. Like, the doctor <clears throat> has lost a lot of people. A, a lot of people. The biggest, the big one that is that still has effects this day on the doctor is Adric. Who was Adric was a fifth doctor companion who was a math genius from a like pocket universe. Also polyamorous and bisexual. Um, uh, who died basically saving the Earth from Cybermen and actually ended up being the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. Uh, but yeah, that was the big one because he was only like 16. And he died on the Doctor's watch under his care. And ever since then, the Doctor's tried to be as careful as he can. But like, it's especially with Ten. Rose got sent to an alternate dimension. Martha got radicalized into a soldier because of him. She started off as a medical student and fell in love with him, but he had no feelings for her back and treated her horribly. And by the end, radicalized her into a soldier. Donna became the Dr. Donna and almost burnt up because she absorbed Timeward knowledge. And is still, even though... She won't die. She's still haunted yeah. by that. Like, she'll always have, like, those memories, but... Well, not, like, the memories, but she'll kind of remember them. But if she, if she ever remembers <laughs> the doctor, she will pretty much immediately die and burn off. Yeah. It's, it's a big thing. That the doctor, despite all his... Like, since Adric, like, every companion he's had, he's made sure to take care of them. And But it's just reached a point where, in his carelessness, despite... As the as his enemies always said, the doctor leaves a trail of destruction. Even if he doesn't mean it, people are always or are, are always hurt. Who said that? I don't remember. I think it was a dollar. I think it might have been Dalek Khan. I don't remember or Dalek Sack. Oh, it might have. Would it have been um, not Emperor Dalek? Like um, Sack the Evolved Dalek? Like God? Oh, like the the yeah the Dalek God Emperor. Yeah. Maybe, I can't remember exactly, but yeah. And that was the big thing is, and we see him finally realize that maybe if he steps away from humanity, he'll do less harm to them, but it, he needs that human, even if, and he just needs to learn how to be better with them. Even through tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, uh, like David Tennant's era fully represented that and I don't know if we'll ever see it like better shown than that because that was like amazing, amazingly powerful. Um, just the "You Are Not Alone" stuff. The, um, the Davros, the creator of his Nemesis. Uh, Nemesis, <laughs> yeah. Nemesis. Um, the... <laughs> I'm not good at Latin or Greek. It's Greek, but I don't know. Um, the creator of his nemesis, the Daleks, um, saying, I have shown you yourself, 
and then himself being created um, in this uh, better, well, arguably better or worse incarnation. Which the Daleks themselves are incredibly interesting because they were created by Davros not as this force of universal conquest, but as salvation. The the Khaleds were losing, like Scar, the planet Scaro was divided into two species. I just need to remind myself of the name of the other species, the Thals. Uh was the home of both the Thals and the Khaleds. Uh, the Khaleds were being obliterated. Basically, the Thals were killing all of them, and Davros, who was a scientist of the Khaleds, was like, can I create a weapon that would be able to win us the war? And he created the first Daleks, which turned out to be, if you change the letter of the Khaled around, you get Daleks. He, he turned the species into an army to save them. Yeah. He, it was done out of a place of benevolent mercy on his species. It's part of the reason why Daleks have no emotions. Because he knew that to win the war, Daleks would have to have no remorse. Yeah. And yet, even though they were created to be that force of we should actually go and watch the fourth Doctor Story Genesis of the Dalek, which is where Sarah Jane first meets the Davros. And I, I where the ones are good. We should actually watch it. Very good episodes. Um, Genesis of the Daleks basically tells the history of the Daleks and how they got from the Khaleds into the bloodthirsty conquerors we know today as the most fearsome force and most fearsome army in, my opinion, all of science fiction. No other army comes close. The Empire destroyed. The Borg destroyed. Nothing, no army comes close to the force of the Daleks. Because the Daleks are insane. It's crazy. Yeah, because even... Yeah, no, I can't think of, like... Because even the Empire has, like, incredible complexity to it. Um... Like, yeah, no, I can't think the of The Daleks anything. were beating the Time Lords, just to put yeah. that into perspective. I can't think of anything. The, the, the Time Lords were losing the Time War. That's, that's the thing. They were losing the Time War. I can't think of any other army in science fiction or race in science fiction that has no remorse like that. Okay. Well, I would like to ask now your opinions on some big moments in the show. For sure. Captain Jack being the face of Bo. Um, yeah... <laughs> Um, I think I think um, someone that sh- that like at least in New Who well, one of the first people who showed the Doctor um, love or at least a bit because I think they did um, they definitely do not not love each other but like almost I think what the Doctor and Jack I think they have a playful relationship of sorts. They're on and off. <laughs> um, the Doctor and Jack. And I think because of that, they have like a... And because of their time away, they have like a... Um, like this... Not transcendent. I guess so, transcendent. Um, as well as uh, deep, like fundamental care for each other. And I think... Um, 
for that to survive uh, what he's saying? Billions of years? <laughs> for that to survive billions of years shows how uh, powerful the love of the Doctor uh, is. And Prague is canon to Doctor Who. What? Empreg. You don't know what that is? Yeah, but, like, how? They literally say that the face of Bo gives birth. They do? Yes! That's but the big thing. To what? They're Bo kind. And it's his second time being wearing them. What's the second time? And being pregnant, again. The first time? And being pregnant. Like, not that deep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's some of those? Uh, the Professor Yana reveal. I know you guessed it when we watched the episodes already, but still, what did you think of that reveal? Um, I think to see, like, how vengeful the Doctor could be, just with the simple, like, it was a, like, an incredible parallel of, um, him holding the... I guess exposed wire or whatever that was. Um, yeah, exposed wire. To what was, what was her name? Chanto. Chanto. Um, the professor Yana's the masters. The professor Professor Yana's um, companion, technically, um, assistant, whatever. And for like the doctor, like we know the doctor so well at that point that if that was the doctor facing Chanto, he would uh, offer help. He wouldn't uh, go in for um, the no witnesses type of thing of like, uh, no one should uh, know me this well, like I'm like, I'm the master, I'm good. Like, and then obviously that brings itself back. with the Time Lord Victorious and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think for um, the Doctor to immediately freak out <laughs> and then soon after that just have a face of sheer... Um, not not peace, what was it? I think fear, yeah, of the final shot of that episode. But yeah, I think. Okay. Yes. I'm trying to get more. Um, how about like the reveals of the full season arc stories? Right. Um, of like, I I kept I don't I kept asking you like, what was the especially with the final season the connecting trait of planets yeah. going missing, Pyrovelia, Adipose Three, the Lost Moon of Poosh, or every time I said remember the name Saxon, things or like the that. Drums. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that was laid out throughout the season. Yeah, the the drums, I didn't even think twice about, like, um, that it was a heartbeat. I was like... It's funny, because that's the first version of the Master that actually had that. Really? Yeah. Um, I guess with the other versions, it was just kind of in his head. Well, the time war hadn't happened yet. Right, right. <laughs> Fucking duh. <laughs> but yeah. I I think, um, as a writer, it was kind of cool to, like, simultaneously work on projects in media arts school and film school and stuff, 
and read these couple, uh, these few like philosophy books that my sister has gotten me over the past like couple occasions, whatever holidays, whatever, and just like uh, see that creativity in or like have that back in like that feedback loop of creative inspiration, but also just pure enjoyment of like creativity. And then um, also it would like that pure creativity and like raw uh raw sex appeal. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the raw power of the writing and stuff would just keep me going if like the least or like, like the douchey like some of the few douchey professors I've had um, this past semester or whatever it would keep me going more than I need oh my god and hating Doctor Who as well which was a weird parallel in itself in the real world of like this douchey professor that I had hates Doctor Who for like their regeneration stuff and whatever that's why she hates Doctor Who? Well, because I'm implying that's the reason because of her her saying, like, oh, well, who's a doctor this time and this time? I don't care. That's what, that's, that was my reason. And I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> so watching that at the same time of dealing with someone hating it was, it, was a uh, odd thing. Yeah. I don't think there was any other... Yeah, there was a lot of smaller moments, but yeah. Nah, yeah. So, what you're looking forward to seeing, hopefully, in the future? Or any theories as to Season 5 when we saw in the trailer at the end of Lone Town? Well, I, for sure, I, like, I'm full set on that 11th is the Doctor that meets River. Um, well, 10 was the Doctor that meets River. No, but, like, No, but like the, the whole thing that she said, though. The thing with the Doctor and River is the first time the Doctor meets River is the last time River meets the Doctor. Yeah. Is the thing. So 10 is the Doctor that meets River. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Oh, wait. Sorry. Then, yeah, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Sorry. Um, I'm for sure set on... Eleven being the doctor that River meets, I guess is how I would say that. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah I see what you mean. I, I mean that. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. Um, and then of course, yeah, more um, uh, a higher budget because even though the campiness is part of it, oh, the campiness some, doesn't go away. Uh, I like, I, yeah, I I love it, but it will be less. Um. Absorbalafian. Glom. <laughs> but yeah, it um because your reaction to Clom being one of the planets that was taken is so funny. I lost my fucking ass. <laughs> but yeah, I um because even though the campiness I love campiness and stuff in projects, I think that's forgotten a lot in the media today. Like how I will say, one of the strategies that is used in season five is a your mom joke. 
With CGI? <laughs> no, but just to take got time the campiness. A your mom joke is used as part of a plan. Oh, just like in the writings. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, like uh, like sometimes it would pull me out of it. it would sometimes it would pull me out of the worlds and the story, like in those first four seasons. Occasionally. It would be it wouldn't be all the time. Um a most recent example is the flying with the master. That was a little bit weird. Like the <laughs> But like um yeah. Um and I think um the references to like just the referencing each other and stuff. Or I guess referencing himself <laughs> um and stuff like that. Um because he already did and that was really fucking cool. Um, I really like seeing that. And I don't think it showed other things in the... It showed something like that in David's... Uh, right? Mm-hmm. Like, other, like, the other Doctor's kind of stuff. I don't think David did that. Right? Yeah. Doctor's Journal had it. Right. Um, yeah, a Journal of Impossible Things that I'm excited for that. Um, and like wording like that, um, like just more of the philosophy and stuff. I, I really, really love that stuff because I've always been enamored by the universe and stuff. The impact with the character, the author of that book, Universe. Her name is Verity Newman. The creators of Doctor Who are Sydney Newman and Verity Lambert. <laughs> um, also the John Smith version of the Doctor in those episodes says his parents name were Verity and Sydney. Yeah, um, that was also really fucking cool to see that. Um, I, I wouldn't even know how you would word that. Like, like the Chameleon Arch? Or not Chameleon Arch? The, yeah, the Chameleon Arch. What are you talking about? <laughs> the author, like the same character. Oh yeah, having her be like the great-granddaughter. The great granddaughter of the char- of the character from Human Nature Friendly Blood. Why did I not? Yeah, of course you'd be the. <laughs> Why do you think the doctor asked her if, uh, tell me was she happy? Talking about her great grandmother. When I when I first heard, I'm so dumb. When I first heard that, I thought he was talking about the character in the book. No. Anyway, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I think there's a um, less, like, more subtle than the other aspects of the show, but like, kind of an ancestral feel to it. Like, Any characters you're hoping to see, characters or monsters you're hoping to see pop up again? Um, I adore the Daleks, um, of course. I think as long as the Doctor um, is there, the Daleks will always survive. Um, the first thing of that obviously being Dalek with uh, Chris's episodes but yeah um, there's not been a doctor who has not had Daleks well okay yeah Uh, figures but yeah um, I think uh, definitely more horror element more horror elements because they've done that extremely well since the first season um, with, are you my mommy? <laughs> and, 
turn trying to keep Um and then season two with uh si- yes, the Cybermen and then season three with Blink and season four with uh specials and um some rare stuff in the season that I forget. But yeah. Uh, Dalbros also was a little bit terrifying. Um, as Julian well. Bleach is amazing as Dalbros. Does I oh, would know that? Well, I don't know. I say, does he play him in other appearances? Because I would love to see him. I would love to see him again. That's another character. Um, because yeah, that that's also a weird um, thing. I because I I've seen a clip of. Like I saw a clip a long time ago, a few years ago, of like Pierre Capaldi saying that, oh, like, um, most people on social media wouldn't say this or whatever, but yeah, Doctor Who is a show like that. Um, obviously, you've probably seen that same clip multiple times, but yeah, um, and I have repeatedly thought that, so but yeah, I'm really excited for that. Just uh, to keep being inspired, I think this show will last for like it has you and everyone who watched us. But yeah, is there is there anything you're looking forward to this like for me thing or like also just I can't say. I can't say. Oh I'm dumb. The Van Gogh episode, I'm excited for that. The Van Gogh episode is very good. Um because that that's also one of the highest rated, isn't it? Uh so no blink is the highest rated. Blink is the highest rated. My favorite episode of Doctor Who ever is the second highest rated episode. I'm not right? Yes. I'm not. Do not look anything up about that. Okay. Don't look up anything about any episodes <laughs> at all. Just finality, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Van Gogh episode, Vincent and the Doctor, is a very good one. I also just love that guy because even though him as um, even Despero was um, interesting. Um. Like, I mean, he's also in Daredevil. Yeah, he was really good in that. He's in a lot of stuff. He's King Boar in Thor the Dark World. At the very beginning when he goes up against the Dark Elves. Oh my god, He's Odin's yeah. dad. Right. Um, he plays the Invisible Man in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is interesting. Yeah, Tony Curtin's in a lot. Yeah, he's he's a great actor. Um, I'm excited for see yeah, all, all the great actors. The Andrew Garfield cameo in season two was fucking insane. Um, I don't think. Oh, season three. Oh yeah, it was not the beginning. Wasn't it was with Martha. Right. Um, you see, it was the segment. Man, yeah, no, I I really love the show and like I. Um. I really like watching it with you and yeah, I love. You gotta figure out what that is. Right. <laughs> I've had that on my wall for the entire year, and it still has not come up. I am not joking. I fully thought that was about to happen when she was in the uh, fire. Oh, like in the heart of the crucible? That's like, because you looked over at me, and I was like this the whole time, right? Like, like I thought yeah. that she'll come up. Like, I thought she was about to just fucking die. <laughs> and I cannot tell you actually what that is called because it is a massive spoiler as to what that is called. It's just exploding, but no, the the piece of art has a very specific name. 
that I cannot tell you. Like the name of the painting? The name of the painting. Oh. I cannot tell you what it's called. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm really excited for like all the little in real life stuff as well, the references and stuff. Yeah, is there... James Corden. Yeah. That was insane to see the trailer. Yeah. Um, yeah, just to kind of wrap it up, is there anything that like you're looking forward to in theater or anything? Uh, the combat workshop tomorrow. Yeah. We're doing, we're doing a stage combat workshop. Getting uh, to learn more about lights and sound with my uh, role in our Playground Festival and see what's sign. Um, starting on monologue work tomorrow will be interesting, and then doing auditions at the end of the year is going to be. Oh, right. For, for streaming. Uh, like the, the. Which is called the Vice, right? Uh, that's one of the options. You've got production design. There's like four main ones. There's production design, playwriting, uh, uh, performance, and device theater. Mm-hmm. But there's a little bit of, once we get to the next steps, prime time will explain a little bit more about what the steps are. Oh well, yeah, but yeah, I, I think uh, I'm excited to um, work. Sorry, I'm quoting a doctor. <laughs> to, to work on um, stuff with you guys, which we've already done, um, and I've submitted a few to some film festivals, um, including the one, uh, Film Noir one that I did with him and our buddy Charlie. Um, R.I.P. that hat. But yeah, so... <laughs> um, the detective hat. But, um, yeah, I mean, with uh, Matt, our buddy Matt, um, I think we'll do quite a few things with him. Yeah, hopefully. His Stargirl project, not connected to DC. <laughs> uh, I have to say that. Yeah. Uh, should be interesting. Yeah, and it he seem, it seems really interesting. And um, I was already... Like, I already see all that cinematography stuff in um, Toronto. Like, I already feel so connected to the city. I've been living here for... Everybody wants it's been this late, I can't count. <laughs> but yeah, I I adore the city, I adore my friends, um, and our little friend group and um yeah, and I can't wait to um with you guys next year too and everything. Mm-hmm. You're gonna look at that. Yeah, knock a fucking wood, Jesus Christ. Yeah, we need jobs. Time was and unemployment. It's going to be an interesting year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited, and I think it'll all work out well, bones and all. But yeah, I think that about wraps it. Um, yeah. Next time on Doctor Who, I suppose. Mm-hmm. has been season one of This Won't Last Long. Season two should be more philosophy-based. I will not say anything else, because <laughs> I need to think of it and plan it. Bye-bye!